0: The following pre recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas Desert and Energy Industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble, because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Have you ever felt
1: that nudge that you just can't ignore? It is persistent. It won't go away after just one suggestion. It it resurfaces. It just might be the Holy Spirit calling you to do something that is your purpose. When I think of purpose, I think of hunting with a bird dog. There is no doubt whatsoever that they understand what their purpose is, and they're always so eager to jump out of the kennel and get to work doing it. I want that kind of clarity of purpose for my life. My guest today is Tom Douthat, Executive Director of Toolbox Ministries. Before his Toolbox gig, Tom felt and answered a call to become a pastor. And after 30 years at the same church, he was wondering about that call, as I'm sure many pastors are today after all the pandemic has done to churches. Pastors certainly wrestle just as much as every other human. So I'm glad to have Tom on to be authentic and truthful on this topic. So, Tom, welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man.
2: Thank you. It is great to be here, and I look forward to talking about this. Great.
1: So we've uh, both read this book by Oz Guinness. Mm -hmm. It's called The Call. Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose of Your Life. He opens his introduction with this. Are you looking for purpose in life? For a purpose big enough to absorb every ounce of your attention, deep enough to plumb every mystery of your passions, and lasting enough to inspire you to your last breath? Wouldn't we all just love to have that script, you know, handed to us for our lives? Why don't you tell us your story about first becoming a pastor and how that turned into a long assignment at the same church for you.
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to. I love that uh, Guinness quote. And, I, in fact, I love the way he begins it. He talks about calling being like a blazing fire within and a sheer beacon ahead of us. And I love that sort of internal and external aspects of that. It's kind of a want to and a what to uh, that is so important in our life. And so my want to and what to goes way back. Um I became a follower of Christ through the ministry of Young Life when I was a high school student and uh, went off and uh, to uh, college at A&M. And uh, despite my, what my major was, I really majored in Young Life. I led a Young Life club uh, through uh, my college years and really loved that part of life. I got out of school, came back, went to work here in Houston, but I continued to volunteer with Young Life. And after a few years, I thought, this is what I'm really made to do. didn't have a real clear sense of that at this point in time, except that I knew that I was more designed uh, to be engaged with people than at that point in time I was working in a cancer research facility. So I thought I was made more for men than mice, if you will. <laughs> and uh, of Mice and men. Yeah. So I left and went back to school with a view to go and work for Young Life. Uh, I didn't really grow up actively engaged in a church at all. And then after four years of my seminary program, I was, uh, had gone through the full-time interview process with young life, but I had to do one more semester school and I had to do a church internship and we came here to Houston and did an internship at a place called spring branch community church, which is where my wife had grown up and, um, there was a moment in that summer where I thought, I think I was born for a community like this. Again, it was a it was a moment in a parking lot, but I'd never experienced anything quite like I was experiencing it in that church community. I thought I was born for something like this. And uh, at the end of that summer, they were actually looking for a youth pastor. They asked me if I was interested in putting my name into the hat. I was. Uh, they. Uh, They eventually called me to be the new student ministry pastor of that church at that time. And so, in effect, my internship uh, lasted for the next 31 years. (laughs) I spent about 10 years as a youth pastor there and about 20 years as a senior pastor there until uh, uh, leaving there completely about uh, two years ago. Okay. Well, great, And that's a good story.
1: Young Life, man, is a great organization. I didn't know much about it. Uh, I was—I had considered uh, American Humanics and scouting as a profession, but I just needed to make a little more money than that. <laughs> uh, when we had lunch the other day, you were—you said you were about fifty years old when mm-hmm. you began to wrestle, you know, mm-hmm. with this call that you were seeing people you had married become members of the senior <laughs> Sunday school class, and began to wonder if uh, there wasn't something more you should be doing with your life. Yeah. So you also said that that was about an eight-year wrestling match. Yeah. So tell our listeners what that looked and yeah. felt like.
2: Yeah, it, it really sounds remedial, and it wasn't like on my 50th birthday. It wasn't this you know, existential crisis, but about that time in my life, I, it sounds so remedial, but, but I had this aha, and the aha was, wait, this is the only life I get. And I've had redos on virtually everything in my life. I've had second chances at jobs, second chances at relationships, second chances on tests. So I've had all kinds of mulligans. Uh, But it was about that time I thought, wait, I just get one go at this. And I can remember thinking, I don't want to get from here being where I was at that point in life to here being whenever my days are done. I don't want to get from here to here and go, well, crud. (laughs) That's it. That was my one go. And so there were things I wanted to do and experience, et cetera. They weren't real specific and they weren't all super spiritual, but there was this longing or wrestling, the way you put it, that that began in me. And uh, you mentioned, you know, watching other people and, uh, you know, there were some things about people maybe age or stage beyond me at that point in time. And I thought you begin to feel a little bit in a church community, maybe begin to feel a little irrelevant. And, and to me, it looked maybe a little boring, you know, those kind of things. And, uh, and it seemed to me like that season, which is now my season of life, should really be the sweet spot. Yeah. You know, you get this place where you go, I have a greater sense of who I am. I've got some sense of who I'm not and that this should be sort of like this Kairos moment, this moment of opportunity in our life where we begin to be maybe less about performing, less about doing and more about being and seeing that there is value and impact to the experiences that we've had in our lives uh, in influencing others. So that's kind of the essence of it. You know, when that went on for, as you put, about eight years, uh, it was eight years between, you know, when I turned 50 and then when I finally, uh, uh, uh left, uh, that particular church and, uh, there are many chapters to that story right. in between right. that eight years
1: though. So. Yeah, I know. I have a, uh, an hourglass on my desk. And it's just to remind me, you know, that I have more sand in the bottom of the hourglass than I do in the top. And that's kind of my... My currency, mm-hmm. you know, that's time. Mm-hmm. And now those were nickels and dimes and quarters. Now they're tens and twenties, you know, at the top. <laughs> so, yeah. so how you spend that time becomes more precious to you. You don't yeah. want to waste it. Yeah. You know, looking back on my own life, I believe that God begins preparing us through our own experiences and choices, many guided by self-will and not his will, but he ultimately works them all out for his purpose. And mm-hmm. I really like Max Lucado's mm-hmm. book, uh, on the anvil, it's his old book, you know, where he said, uh, we can be a one of three places for God uh, on the rusty, dull, useless tool pile collecting dust in the shop. Not really a good place on the anvil getting put to the fire, pounded on the forge and quenched in a bucket, a most uncomfortable place <laughs> or a sharp, shiny new tool ready to be used for his purpose. Hmm. He is so patient and work through all things for good as he promises in Scripture in Romans eight twenty-eight. And I say all this because I believe we have chapters in our story rather than one long narrative, you know, Mm -hmm. and so tell us about your prayers and them being answered and released from your original calling. And then, you know, from our conversation, that seemed rather like
2: sudden or or, or dramatic for you Mm -hmm. when you felt that. Yeah. Um, One of the ah ahas in that eight years of wrestling was uh, I had something of a mission statement come into my mind, and it was. Uh, I'd like to help people who are 50 and over reinvent themselves with a kingdom purpose for the last third of their life that it would be the most fruitful and joyful season of all. That's kind of that Kairos idea that I, that I mentioned. And I kind of wrestled with that. It just really kind of popped into my head. I didn't sit down to write something or to craft something. It was just kind of there. And I began to read about sort of this third, third of life, talk with some others about third, third of life, uh, et cetera, and begin to think about doing some things. And then at some point in time I thought, huh, why don't you start with yourself? <laughs> and, uh, uh, so that was, was one of my moments, but I, so I began to really kind of drill down into the idea of calling as you, as you mentioned it and, and, uh, wanted to know, you know, uh, does God really have a fingerprint, snowflake, unique sort of calling on our lives, a specific something that he's made me to do? And that's one of the places that I began to, to read. And as you mentioned, uh, Oz Guinness's book, among other things, I began to go through the Scripture and, uh, and, again, talking with others, trying to identify, you know, is there this clear sense of calling, and in the midst of that, I didn't come up with a clear chapter and verse like, I can take you to this spot, and it tells you that God has this fingerprint unique calling on your life, but I put together something that I call Eight Biblical Realities of Calling, and it's really something of a construct of ideas or truths that in my mind composes answers the question that yes God does have a specific and unique uh, calling on my life and uh, I'll just quickly recite them if you don't mind because I, uh, no, I please I usually begin each day kind of by praying through these eight things and the way I think of it is as a way of aligning myself towards God and his calling on my life the way a mag- uh, the way a compass is oriented to magnetic north. Mm-hmm. compass doesn't have any value if it's not oriented to magnetic north, and I won't experience a sense of call that God has in my life unless I'm oriented rightly to him. So here are the eight things that I came up with, and I, I begin them all with the word thank you. They, they compose a prayer. The first is thank you, God, uh, that you ordained my days before they were even one. This appears to be one of them. I don't know if I get the whole day, but at least I get this part of it. I'm glad you're here. And and help me to embrace this day as a gift from you and invest it in a worthy way. Number two, thank you, God, that when I was 17 years old, you drew me to yourself and saved me by your grace through faith. Would you help me to live today remembering the forgiveness I enjoy and the life I possess in Christ? Number three is thank you that the moment I came to faith in Christ— I became the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, designed for good works, which you prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Would you help me to discover and do what you have in my path for today? Number four, thank you that the moment I came to faith in Christ, your Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. Uh, in order to me, uh, empowering me to be who I'm meant to be and to do what I'm meant to do, would you help me today to walk by your Spirit and not carry out the desires of my flesh? If I thank you that you gave me capacities of your Spirit called spiritual gifts, that I might serve you in joyful and fruitful ways, and would you help me to employ those gifts that you've given me today uh, in a way that advances your kingdom? Uh, number six is thank you that you wove me together in my mother's womb, that you wired me the way you wanted me. Would you help me to live today embracing, not despising who you've made me to be? Number seven, thank you that you desire to redeem the best and the worst of what I have experienced, am experiencing, or will experience for good and gain and glory. Would you help me to live today with the kind of anticipation that your sovereignty deserves? And then finally, thank you that you told me in advance that you're going to one day return and ask me what I did with what I received. Would you help me to live today in a way that matters forever? And so that, that was sort of sort of the, part of the guts of what I began to uh, hold on to in the middle of that time uh, in in in. in with chapters too many to go through, at some point in time in that journey, I felt like I was supposed to step down as the senior pastor of the church I was serving and and put the baton in the younger man's hand. Uh, after a lot of prayer and consideration, we did that. and and uh, But God made it clear that he wanted me to stay. So we brought in a new guy, and I worked with him for a few years and uh, and uh, learned lots of lessons in the midst of that. That was through the Harvey uh, flood and, and yeah. things like that. But then uh, uh, some while after that, two, three years after that, I guess it was, I was sitting in a board meeting one night, and uh, it was like God – I call it my tap on the shoulder. It was like God reached down in the midst of what was a good board meeting, but it was as if he said, and you're done. (laughs) And I knew at that moment that that he – Uh, had a new adventure for me. And I'd heard of guys talking about being released from a call before, never experienced anything like it, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I was done. And enough so that 12 hours later, uh, I gave word to the person I reported to that I believe my time here was done. And God had something new for me, having no idea what that was going to be And uh, at 58 years old. It seemed like a strange time for a new career uh, or a new start. But uh, but that was where God led in the midst of that.
1: Hey, that's just a great story. I like I like those eight uh, thank yous. I think we we have to start with that that gratefulness. And you know, you and I are the same age. In fact, I didn't know until we had lunch that we even graduated from A in the same year, '82. Yeah. And so, you know, I had a similar situation where I decided, you know, in my corporate job, there was just time. You know, for me, you know, I've just kind of had it with this. And you know, there was a lot of global travel. I was taking care of some. Uh, some family members that mm-hmm. were, you know, in memory care facilities and were declining. And I knew that I needed to do that, but I didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. So I kind of kind of relate, you know, to that experience. But uh, so now you're, you're at Toolbox, you mm-hmm. know, where the slogan is borrowed from Bob Buford's mm-hmm. book, Halftime. We pursue success in the first half of life and then run into the locker room at halftime. Probably a little disillusioned, even if you've achieved success, because it's not, it doesn't satiate you know, the needs that God has put in us. And so we make these adjustments to the game plan and then we come out looking for significance. Um, we know that our time is getting shorter here and we begin to wonder about what our legacy will be uh, with this great sense of urgency that men our age now have, you know, what message do you have for them regarding answering a call or, or finding their purpose at this stage of life? Because a lot of us are kind of being dismissed these days, you know, with the whole diversity and inclusion, you know, issues in the corporate world and they're probably being pushed out of their careers a little sooner than they thought. And they're like,
2: Hey, I still got 30 more years. What am I going to do? Yeah. They have 30 sweet spot years really, uh, if to my way of of viewing it. And, uh, so, um, let's see, tell me your
1: question again. So, well, it it was just, so if, if you're meeting with these men, like for example, at toolbox Mm -hmm. and they, you know, how, how do they find their calling and purpose at this stage yeah. of life? So, you you know, you, you've been maybe you've been given yeah. uh, the nudge out of the corporate world, uh, not, not by your own decision.
2: Well, so there I think there is in every man's life this dynamic that I call biblically predictable discontent. That is, if uh, if Solomon was telling us the truth in, in, in the uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he begins to go through a whole litany of things that he describes as vanity. In other words, he said, I built it, I bought it, I've tasted it, I've touched it, I've seen it, I've sold it. I mean, he, he had done everything. And yet there was still something he's looking for. He was he was discontent because he hadn't hit the full stride of who he was meant to be, what he was meant to do. Mm-hmm. At Toolbox, we refer to that as the itch. itch. You know, a guy gets to the top of his game. Uh, it may be business. It may be academics. It may be athletics, arts, whatever it might be. He gets to the top of his game, and there's still this itch. There's still this itch he's trying to scratch, like, I haven't found it yet. In fact, I'll just tell you what I think is one of the most profound Proclamations of that was some years ago when Tom Brady, uh, at the time New England Patriots quarterback, was being interviewed on 60 Minutes. At that point in time, I think he already had three or four Super Bowl rings, married to a supermodel, and probably had more money than he'll spend in a lifetime. And uh, the uh, the interviewer said something to Brady. I can't remember what the setup question was, but Brady said. There's got to be more to life than this. And the person who's interviewing him said, what is it? And Brady, in almost a chilling way to me, he says twice, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. That's the itch. Mm-hmm. And so you know, so the first part of sort of just, you know, uh, sort of laying hold maybe of, of the call that God has on our lives is to sort of embrace the itch, not despise it, mm-hmm. that this is not an anomaly. This is not a weakness. This It's a gift. It's a gift that's uncomfortable, but that it urges us and it pushes us on to look for things and in ways that maybe we haven't before in our life. So that was that's the first thing I would say. You know. Second thing I say for a guy who's sort of trying to kinda of understand his sense of calling is uh, kinda of understand a little bit where he's been. Mm-hmm. And so I use a tool with people in, in maybe in small group settings. But I, I I call it the the twelve defining moments project where I ask people to think back through their life as early into their life as they can remember. And to identify what are twelve defining moments in their life, and by defining moment I mean a moment you pass through the result of which life is never the same again. Well, technically, that's true of every moment we pass through, but you know that there are some of those things and times that that stand out. Now, the reason I call this twelve defining moments is because when God brought the nation of Israel through the Jordan River, you know, into the Promised Land, He asked them to take twelve stones out of the bed of the Jordan River to stack them up on the far side on the far shore, as a marker. And he Mm -hmm. tells them exactly what it was for. It wasn't just to keep them busy. It was a marker so that everybody who came that way in the future would know that something significant had happened here. He said he wanted their children to know, and he wanted people to the ends of the earth to know what had occurred in that place. In other words, he didn't want just one generation to benefit from this story of crossing the, the river he wanted to have a generational and a geographical impact. So I invite people, and we can talk about it more and more at another time, to identify 12 defining moments, like 12 stones mm-hmm. in their life, and you, what you begin to see is there's value in your experiences to have impact and influence to others uh, on the basis of how uh, what's going on in your life and your world. In many ways, that begins to form something of the guts of your calling. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting
1: a little short on time here. I wanted to see if there's something in Scripture where there's – I know there's a lot of stories in the Bible where God uses an older man for a right. great purpose. You know, you got a quick
2: example of that? Yeah, well, uh, for sure. You know, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Second Timothy, which is basically the Apostle Paul – Taking the young man Timothy and saying, This is a relay race. I have run my lap. You're on. I'm going to put the baton in your hand. Take the baton. And he, uh, through example and exhortation, and encouragement, he, he's alongside this younger guy, helping him to experience what he's made to do. Fantastic. Well, I, I
1: really appreciate you coming on. I want to just take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, ERS Electronic Restoration Services. You know They give us an example of how old and damaged things that most people are prepared <laughs> to toss out can, in fact, be restored and returned to full and useful service. So they're a, a terrific uh, sponsor. Um, I'll close with this excerpt from Oz Guinness's book. Count the cost, consider the risks, and set out each new day on a venture to multiply your gifts and opportunities and bring glory to God and add value to our world. So I would call that... Significance and Tom, I'm really glad you came on. I uh, I just thank God for your ministry, and I perhaps like to have you back on again. Maybe we could talk more about these twelve defining moments. Love uh, to. All right, great. Thanks. Thank you. AM 1070, the answer. Wrestling with the inner man.
0: Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. We believe the winners in this ring courageously follow God's word, love and protect God's woman excel at God's work matters God's world and his children for more information reach out to David at WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com that's WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com tune in next time as Wrestling With The Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men